Welcome to Objection to the Rule, the Sunday afternoon news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are recording this episode on Thursday, January 7th, and it will begin airing on Sunday, January 10th. My name is Teresa Robinson, and I'm on air today with my co-hosts, Emily Scott and Jasmine Smith. How are we doing today, ladies? <laughs> oh. I know it's totally oh, loaded. <laughs> I... I, it's a lot. I was telling you guys a few minutes ago that it's just like, it's so much to try and hold like the, the good that happened yesterday with the bad being so bad all at once. It's like, I'm, I'm not really processing it fully yet. I'm I concur. Okay. Like I'm, you know, aware of everything that's happening. Like when I was watching um, everything ha- unfolding live, I was you know, very much glued to my phone just to stay alert to everything. And at a certain point, I had to say, you know what, I need to, like, eat something and continue to function. So, of course, like, upset, but not surprised, I would say. All right. Well, I'm a bit outraged, so (laughs) I'm glad to have this platform to talk this stuff out with you guys today and uh, really just have a place for our thoughts So this week, we have a special edition of OTR put into existence as a response to the unprecedented insurrection that occurred during the long-awaited Electoral College vote on Capitol Hill on January 6th, and also the historical runoff elections in the great now blue state of Georgia. So we're going to go ahead and kick off today's episode with Emily, who will set the foundation for our discussion. All righty. Yes. So, okay, guys. Um, (laughs) So I'm about to tell you what was supposed to happen yesterday, or at least I'm going to start with what should have happened and what has happened historically on what yesterday was. So um, actually, funny enough, the National Archives and Records Administration, which sounds like a very dry branch of the government, um, actually probably is having the most exciting year in a very long time. They released a report this year breaking down how the presidential election process is supposed to happen step by step um, as based on what the U.S. Constitution and U.S. Code says. I'm pretty sure they put out the report since, you know, this is a year where it seems like every step of the process is up for debate and everybody is paying very close attention. Um, So I think at this point, most people have become very familiar with the Electoral College process. Um, According to the report from the archives, quote, In each state, the voters choose electors to select the president and vice president of the United States based on the results of the November general election. Um, End quote. So when you're voting, you're not actually voting directly for the president. And that's sort of why the popular vote isn't the winner in this country every time, you know, I roll. Um, So back in December, the electors from each state had a deadline to certify the votes for president from their state based on what the outcome was in November. And what was planned for yesterday was the counting of electoral votes in college. Quote, Congress shall be shall be in session on the sixth day of January, succeeding every meeting of the electors. The Senate and House of Representatives shall meet in the hall of the House of Representatives at the hour of one o'clock in the afternoon on that day. And the president of the Senate shall be their presiding officer. End quote. Very, very specific and precise. Um Then they all present and count the certificates of the electoral votes, and then the president of the Senate calls for any objections, like at a wedding, right? Um, Anyway, quote, every objection shall be made in writing and shall state clearly and concisely 
and without argument the ground thereof, and shall be signed by at least one senator and one member of the House of Representatives before the same shall be received. Uh, When all objections so made to any vote or paper from a state shall have been received and read, the Senate shall thereupon withdraw, and such objections shall be submitted to the Senate for its decision, and the Speaker of the House of Representatives shall, in like manner, submit such objections to the House of Representatives for its decision, end quote. So essentially, there has always been a process for House representatives and senators to, you know, um, object to what's going on during this this part. It's just like, I, I at least I've, I haven't heard of it happening, I don't know, ever or in a very long time, at least in, in living memory. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, like, and people are so un, like, don't know how this process works because it's usually so just like bureaucratic and smooth and just sort of de facto, right? Um, so right, and then after yesterday, the next part is the official declaration of election results and then inauguration day on January twentieth, and ABC News filled that in. But of course, what is normal anymore? Um, and that leads us to the insanity that we expected yesterday. Um, the non-violent congressional gaslighting part. Um, There have, of course, been the lies upon lies upon lies from Trump since Election Day about how he really won the election, despite no evidence of this. He's used every step of the post-election process to try and overturn a free and fair election. And he was claiming, and he was even claiming this week that Vice President Mike Pence had the power to reject the votes yesterday, despite the fact that even Pence was like, no, I don't. Stop saying that. Um... And spilling over from this dystopian Trumpian reality and with absolutely no evidence, there has been a plan among some Republicans, quote, to force at least three votes to invalidate Biden's election. And that was a headline from a January 5th New York Times article by Nicholas Fando. So there have been articles like building up to yesterday that was like anticipating at least bureaucratic chaos, not like (laughs) violent chaos. Um, So quotes from that article from January 5th are, um, quote, Congress anxiously prepared on Tuesday for a marathon session to formalize President-elect Joseph R. Biden Jr.'s Electoral College victory after Republican loyalists to President Trump confirmed they would object to the results of at least three battleground states the Democrat won. Senators Ted Cruz of Texas and Tommy Tuberville of Alabama plan to object on Wednesday to the certification of Arizona's electors. Senator Kelly Loeffler of Georgia intended to object to those of from her state. And Senator Josh Howley of Missouri planned to object to Pennsylvania's slate, according to people familiar with their plans. Their challenges were all but certain to fail amid bipartisan opposition, but their decision to join House Republicans in seeking to overturn the election ensured that Congress would be thrust into a caustic debate over the results and Mr. Trump's repeatedly debunked claims of widespread fraud and irregularities that could last nine hours or more. It will culminate in at least three votes that have already uh, badly divided the Republican Party, forcing lawmakers to go on the record either siding with the president or upholding the results of a Democratic election, end quote. Uh, More quotes. So, quote, with notable exceptions, Republicans in the House and the Senate appeared to be roughly diverging into two camps. House Republicans were preparing for as many as 70 percent of their members, potentially including the top party leaders, Kevin McCarthy of California and Steve Scalise of Louisiana, to vote to throw out election results in key battleground states. Around Capitol Hill, the mood was, end quote. And then one more last quote from the article um, to round out this part of the show today. Um, Quote, 
Around Capitol Hill, the mood was tense as lawmakers and their aides tried to game out eventualities that neither party has had to seriously consider in more than a century. With supporters of Mr. Trump already massing in Washington to protest the outcome, the police erected a protective security perimeter around the Capitol and advised lawmakers to use a network of underground tunnels to get to and from their offices on Wednesday, end quote. And that did not uh, work very well. So uh, anyway, that was the craziness that had been anticipated. And um, the votes did end up happening last night later on. Um, And what was it? I saw an article alert say that... um, like a large number of Republicans, even after all of that, in the uh, representatives ended up um, like still going through with that plan. Um, I can't find the exact. Oh, yeah. Over half. Oh, okay. The House joined the Senate in blocking an attempt to overturn Joe Biden's win in Arizona, but over half the House's Republicans backed the effort. Um, and that was a Times article that came out at 11.30 p.m. last night, even after everything that went down. So everything's fucked up. Um, but that's it for my part. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for setting us up there. Um, the, I was watching some stories today and the number of senators who were going to um, oppose those Arizona votes was insane. Like the number was crazy. How many people were going to still do that going into the day? So I don't know. I mean, I feel like it was just, oh, it, I, I don't know. Like the whole process of the Electoral College is always so hard to explain already. And then it really, bullshit. it is bullshit. And it really, you know, from an organizer standpoint, it's like the thing that you cannot really navigate those conversations with people who don't want to participate in a political process forever, for whatever reason. But that is something that I've always struggled to explain to young voters over the years of organizing. But yesterday's debacle and just the way this whole thing has been set up, is just like, I didn't believe it to begin with. I was just trying to at least participate in this process or I don't even know what the fuck I was doing. Because today I woke up feeling completely different. Yeah, I mean, the number of people, um, I was up late last night and into this morning and seeing... um, the number of Republicans that were still objecting. It didn't, it didn't surprise me. And I don't think anyone should be surprised because at the end of the day, the people that were like the fascists that descended upon the building are on their side. So why would they be dissuaded from doing what those types are encouraging them to do? Um, I just think that it should be clear to everyone like just how antiquated and undemocratic the system is. It does not make sense. The fact that there's this whole period between when someone is elected and the power actually turns over is ridiculous. There's many other places where it does not work like that, where it's a, it's a lot faster. You don't have this long like period of wait and see what's going to happen between an election and then when the person is installed like it's just it's a a big fucking mess yeah and it's like to a certain degree i understand like the need the the desire to officially recount everything multiple times to like confirm so everyone doesn't have you know the ability to say i don't believe it was you know a fair election the the electoral vote part where it's like people above you but below the president have the ability to say i'm actually you know like they technically 
can be like, I'm not actually voting for this person you voted for is is insane. <laughs> it's bananas, man. It's, it's almost bananas. like it like it. I remember when I first started voting, like, you know, and I was just like a hothead, like. First of all, when you're when you're just starting, you don't really know how, who all these people are. You know, I'm mechanics. You know, so right. much goes into you know what that power of your vote means for you to feel like it fucking means like nothing. You know, like a few a few minutes later, um, I don't know. All this shit need to be reworked because <laughs> it's been so wrong for so long. And I agree with you, Jasmine. Like we should not be surprised. Um, the way this is, is carried out. But sometimes it's a little bit unbelievable that people could be so just like so far gone, if you will. Like, I don't know, maybe I, I, being optimistic is a thing of the past for me now, but just wow, just wow. Yeah, it's very difficult for you to, like when people are, like like you mentioned, people that are not invested in the electoral process, like they're completely like, what's the point? When you have a system set up like this, where you have people literally saying, the popular vote does not matter. I can just decide that because I don't like the outcome, I'm going to, you know, even though I was voted in to represent the people in the state, I'm going to do what the hell I want to do. It's very difficult to say in good conscience to someone that, you know, they're wrong for feeling like their vote doesn't count. Like there's so much of a coordinated effort that has been ongoing at this point for generations to ensure that people's votes are not counted. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't inspire confidence in the system at all. You know, and I, all I can hope for is that the more people realize how fucked up and flawed the system is more people understand the urgency of getting rid of it yeah that's a great point and i definitely think that you know these conversations about how these the system has just been so fucked up to begin with you know i would love to say the chickens is coming home to root but i guarantee you this process moving forward there's just so much work to do i mean there's just so much work to do i'm i'm trying to keep my optimism but right now it's just not where it's at so we're going to go ahead and take our first musical break. Um, this is a jazz track called Fist of Fury by Kamanzi Washington, who is a very talented multi-instrumentalist composer born and raised in L.A. We'll be right back. objection to the rule on radio free brooklyn and now we will have jasmine up next to review yesterday's showdown on the capitol 
All right, so yeah, you're hearing this on um, Sunday, January the 10th, uh, but we're recording on January 7th, and the events that I'm going to talk about took place on January the 6th. Um, So two weeks before Inauguration Day, there was a mob of Trump supporters that stormed the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., in an effort to halt the counting of electoral votes. Um, Emily already outlined a little bit what was supposed to take place. Um, The following is a timeline that was written up by Domenico Montanaro for NPR of yesterday's events. So at 1 p.m., there was a joint session of Congress that began the tally of electoral college votes. This was presided over by uh, Vice President Pence. He released a letter to Congress declaring that he did not have the unilateral authority to overturn the election results as um, the president had said he did. Um, at 1.11 p.m., President Trump was giving a speech to his supporters that had shown up. Uh, he was talking for roughly an hour, and he urged them to march to the Capitol and said at one point, quote, you will never take back our country with weakness. He said that he would be there with him, but he with them, but he never actually joined the crowd. Uh, at 2.07 p.m., the mob breached the steps on the east side of the Capitol, um, nine minutes later, there were the first scenes of these, like this fascist mob basically inside of the Capitol building. Uh, I don't know if you all were watching, but I was watching a live feed via PBS news hour and there was a journalist, you know, she was doing an amazing job. I don't know how she was able to keep her wits about her with what was going on, but she was inside. Her name was Lisa Desjardins. And she described seeing the attackers breaking glass and entering into the building. Uh, She had to be whisked away to a safe location once they had actually broken in. Um, At 2.24 p.m., Trump tweeted that the vice president wasn't courageous enough to do what he was supposed to have done and targeted him and said that we're going to have to fight much harder and Mike Pence is going to have to come through for us. If he doesn't, that will be a sad day for our country because you're sworn to uphold our constitution. Uh, It was roughly 13 minutes later that Trump told his supporters to be, quote, peaceful after they have already broken into the building. And he asked them to please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement because they are, quote, truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. The House and the Senate had to go into lockdown at 2.42 p.m. And at 3 p.m., there were gunshots heard. Capitol Police shot a woman who later died. And the woman that they shot was named Ashley Babbitt. She was an Air Force veteran and also a conspiracy theorist. Uh, on her Twitter account, which is Common Ash Sense, so Common, the word Ash Sense, There's a string of videos of her going on pro-Trump, pro-QAnon rants. As of 3.36 p.m., the White House press secretaries tweeted that the National Guard was on its way at Trump's direction. The Defense Department later said that the Guard had been authorized, quote, days ago, but it turns out that the Guard was only authorized to work with police at intersections and at metro stations. Um, The D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser said she had asked for more help from the Guard as tensions rose, but the White House was late 
in responding. At 3.48 p.m., there were pipe bombs discovered. Metropolitan police confirmed that they were found at the headquarters of both the Republican and Democratic National Committees, and they were destroyed by law enforcement. Um, both of these bombs were real. They were not fakes, as some people thought. Um, at 4.17 p.m., Trump tweeted a video that downplayed the events of the day and sympathized with his followers, um, saying that he knew their pain, he knew their hurt, but said that they had to go home. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We don't want anybody hurt. Um, there were a total of four people who died in the related to the um, attack on the Capitol, including three men. According to CNN, 14 DC Metro police officers were injured, including one who was hospitalized after suffering serious injury when he was pulled into a crowd and assaulted. There was another officer that had significant facial injuries from being struck by a projectile and another who was hospitalized after he was pepper sprayed. Um, the woman who was shot, uh, According to eyewitnesses, she was trying to make her way through a window and several people with guns were coming out through the doorways. And as she was climbing through the window, she got shot in the neck and fell back. Um, there's actually footage of her being shot. Um, you can see it's like she's trying to climb up and through a window inside of the building and she's shot and, and fell back. The three other people who died were Benjamin Phillips, 50, Roseanne Boylan, 34, and Kevin Greeson, 55. Benjamin Phillips had organized transportation for dozens of these people, and he had a stroke and died. Roseanne Boyland was um, apparently trampled at the rotunda and died, and Kevin Greeson had a heart attack, quote, due to the excitement, according to his wife. Um, one thing I would like to, this is me speaking, this is no longer CNN or NPR, but I want to emphasize for our listeners that this whole thing was not a surprise, but it was a planned and coordinated event. A lot of the language around what happened has been using like these words like overwhelmed and unprepared as if no one who was in a position to do anything knew that this was going to happen and it is not true. So while there were police officers who were attacked and injured, it shouldn't be lost on us that, you know, to quote um, Vox News journalist Anna North and Ella Nielsen, there were vid videos of police standing by or reacting slowly as Trump supporters got closer to the Capitol. It was a stark contrast to the show of force from police during this summer's protests against police brutality in the wake of the George Floyd killing, or even Capitol Police arresting peaceful protesters with disabilities during a 2017 healthcare bill negotiation on the Hill. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's also videos of police officers waving rioters past barricades and taking selfies with them. So regardless of the actions of individual officers who may have been trying to hold these people off, there was an obvious lack of will to stop what was happening. Um, and this is more from Vox, like despite clear warning signs from Trump and his supporters and the fact that the city officials were on high alert, 
Capitol Police did not prepare for the size or violence of the crowd. Um, Dem Ohio Representative Tim Ryan told reporters that the threat assessment done by law enforcement seriously underestimated the potential threat. Um, Police set up only low barriers around the perimeter of the building, and they were wearing ordinary uniforms instead of riot gear, according to the Washington Post. Um, As we know, this is in stark contrast to the law enforcement response to Black Lives Matter's protests this summer when members of the National Guard formed an intimidating phalanx outside the Lincoln Memorial clad in military-style gear. Police are trained to set up multiple layers of barriers far from any potential target, the Washington Post reported, but Capitol officials apparently did not try to stop rioters until they were actually on the Capitol steps. From there, police were unable to prevent rioters from entering the building or in some cases did not even try. One official officer appeared to take a selfie with a Trump supporter as the mob roamed the building. So yeah, like as of right now, um, around 52 people have been arrested as of um, earlier this morning out of a crowd of thousands. And by contrast, more than 150 people were arrested by Capitol Police after demonstrations against the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh in October 2018. And last summer, more than 400 people were arrested over the course of a few days in connections with protests against police violence. But this Wednesday, a group of mostly white Trump supporters were allowed to take selfies and roam freely in the Capitol because they falsely believed the election was rigged. So yeah, it's that's all I got for what happened yesterday. Like I am beyond disgusted at seeing the way that these people were handled with kid gloves and treated like it was no big deal what they were doing. Um, It's not a surprise to me, but it's still upsetting to see nonetheless. Yeah. Thank you so much for that review. Um, As I said at the top of the show, Yesterday, when everything was happening, I did have it on while I was working. I was paying attention. I got a few phone calls from some people uh, just like, are you seeing this? And I was and then I had to step out. But this morning, like the imagery that I seen could not leave my mind. And I just got so overwhelmed thinking about how many people marched in this world this year in Washington for this bullshit that they do in this system. How many people have done this for how many countless years? Um, for reasons that make sense, for reasons that people live and die for every day to see the mockery made of this concept of democracy that is called this country. Like, I'm overwhelmed. Honestly, it just seems like a fucking joke, to be honest with you. And it just made me feel like as an organizer for many years, you know, all the work that we put into was just made a mockery around the world. I watched a few different stories that was talking about the input from other countries um, from an international standpoint and and how they were viewing us. And while it's really not about what other people think about the country as a whole, it just really, something in me just really is angered and outraged. I feel overwhelmed that I can't erase this shit in my mind. And I feel you know a little helpless, honestly. And I'm trying to find a place for this, this energy, but 
it's, it's such, it's, it's just so much mediocrity um, that happens here when it comes to upholding any sort of decorum for people who are trying to control rage every single day, just being black in America. Like the rage is real right now. And, you know, if you're not okay, that's perfectly understandable. I'm totally not, but like, what, what are we working for? You know, if, if things like this can happen, I've seen, definitely seen those videos where uh, police were opening up, you know, the barricades and, and allowing them to come in, you know, all of the backhanded shit that made this moment happen that had those police not available. Talk about, we don't have enough people. We didn't have enough manpower. Bullshit. There's always enough manpower when you're ready to stop the people you don't want to be there. There are like, we, this country has the largest military budget that's ever existed in like the history of the world. There have been entire black neighborhoods bombed for standing up for our rights. But then there's this, this fake show of like, oh, we just somehow cannot. I've said it before on this show and it's, it, it should be perfectly common knowledge by now. A lot of people in that crowd were off duty police officers and military people. You know, like you see that the show of force that we've seen over the summer, whether it's in Brooklyn Manhattan or anywhere in the deep south like the way that these police officers respond when it's people standing up for black lives or for any other like actual righteous cause because it goes against what this country is really about that's what that's when you see the riot gear the battering rams that's when you see people treated like they're less than human We've seen elderly people be knocked over flat on their back and have, you know, blood pouring out of their ears. We've seen journalists, legal observers have their eyes shot out by the police because they're standing up against the violence that this country is based on. The reason why you did not see that type of response to what happened yesterday is because ultimately what those people were doing and what they stand for does not go against what this country is about. As much as it likes to lie to itself and lie to the world, this country is based on the idea and the belief that some people's lives matter and other people's do not. And you know, it's it to me, it just it's echoes of reconstruction all over again. Like we see the same type of things that happened after the Civil War when, you know, these Black people started to get a little too too many rights or started to be voted into, you know, positions of power, like within local government. Then all of a sudden you have these white militias storming state houses and shit. And it's over 100 years later and it's the same bullshit happening all over again. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's there's a long history of racism in this country and in anti-Semitism, and it's important to remember. So there's this Instagram account called Roots Metals. That's that's great. And um, she posted today, racism and anti-Semitism are the two driving forces behind white supremacy. And the terrorists that stormed the Capitol yesterday were had explicit Confederate and Nazi imagery 
what these people want. These are not just Trump supporters. These are people who want to see the total destruction of both the black and Jewish peoples in this country, in the world. Um, there were Auschwitz hoodies. Um, yeah. I saw that. I saw you had a camp. Auschwitz, yeah, it's a, like it's fucking there crazy. were nooses as well. Did you guys yeah. see that? Nooses, Confederate, fl- don't yep. tread on me flags, there all was, of it. There all was someone, um, Jeffrey at Jeffrey Goldberg on social media said, uh, posted, uh, quote, 6MWE uh, is a slogan on t shirts seen at the Capitol yesterday. It stands for six million wasn't enough. Um, these are people who want to see all three of us dead. <laughs> um, I'm like kind of shaking right now. I'm like, I'm processing all of this as it's happening, and it's like, it's bad. <laughs> It's really bad. Yeah, there was, I don't know her name, but she was some elected official. She was out there talking about um, Hitler was right and all this other stuff. I heard that too. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, these, nothing bothers me more than when people are so, I, I, I think it makes sense to be upset. It makes sense to be afraid, anxious, all of that I understand. But when people act like they're just so, like they cannot believe that these thoughts exist or that these, it's like, where have you been? Because they've mm-hmm. always been like this. This happened at mm-hmm. Charlottesville. We've seen it, like there was the Oklahoma City, like we've seen what, what, what was his name? Like Bundy, whatever, like taking, like these right-wing extremists have been embedded in all different areas of life. They're not all in the same social economic strata like some would like to believe. It's everywhere. And I, I hope the more people wake up to that fact, the more people will take it fucking seriously and stop thinking that it's something you can ignore and it's going to go away. That has never worked in the history of anything. And it is not going to work now. Definitely a good point. Thank you so much for that recap, uh, Jasmine. You want to lead us into our next musical break? Yeah, so I was actually going to talk about this um, before everything happened, but I, I switched gears. So this song is by the late MF Doom, who unfortunately passed away much too soon. Uh, this is a song that he did. Uh, it's a mashup between him and a poem by Charles Bukowski. So here's MF Doom and Charles Bukowski with Cells. Born like this, into them, as the chalk faces smile, as Mrs. Death laughs, as political landscapes dissolve, as the oily fish spit out their oily prey. We are born like this, into this into hospitals which are so expensive that it's cheaper to die into lawyers who charge so much it's cheaper to plead guilty into a country where the jails are full and the madhouses closed into a place where the masses elevate food into rich heroes born into this walking and living through this dying because of this castrated, debauched, disinherited because of this. The fingers reach toward an unresponsive God. The fingers reach for the bottle, the pill, the powder. We are born into the sorrowful deadliness. There will be open and unpunished murder in the streets. It will be guns and roving mobs. 
land will be useless. Food will become a diminishing return. Nuclear power will be taken over by the metal. Explosions will continually shake the earth. Radiated men will eat the flesh of radiated men. The rotting bodies of men and animals stink in the dark wind. And there will be the most beautiful silence never heard. Born out of that. The sun hidden there, awaiting the next chapter. From the realm of Alkaloom, smelly gel fumes, separating cell womb to Melly Mel boom, revelations in braille, respiration in hell view, nations fail and shaking of a snake tail, make do, blazing swords, trays the haze, praise the Lord, saving grace, lace your broad, she says she bored, a crazy straw, ink and stale, dry paraffin, candy corn crap wrappers pale by comparison. A bad Samaritan. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. All right, so to finish our uh, special edition today, um, the final story is the first part is taken from an article in the Washington Post. The author is Eugene Scott. The Reverend Raphael Warnock defeated Senator Kelly Loeffler, becoming the first black Democratic elected to be to the Senate from the South. And 33-year-old John Ossoff defeated David Perdue, who recently completed his first full term as a senator. Both Democrats led their their defeated Republican opponents by margins that are larger than the threshold required to trigger a recount under Georgia law. The Democrat twin victories has shaped and balanced, has shaped the balance of power in Washington. Though they will have the thinnest of advantages in the House and the Senate, where Vice President-elect Kamala Harris will break 50-50 ties, Democrats will control the committees and the legislations and nominations brought to the floor. The advantage will pave the way for at least some elephants of Mr. Biden's agenda. I know, right? That's um, definitely a woo moment. Uh, Something very different. Uh, Raphael Warnick is a 51-year-old native of Savannah, Georgia, and was raised Mm -hmm. in public housing and is one of 11 siblings earning more graduate degrees than many. Warnock was ordained by the Reverend John T. Porter, a pulpit assistant of Martin Luther King Jr. III at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. In Harlem, New York, Warnock was also the assistant pastor at the Abyssinian Baptist Church. His candidacy flew somewhat under the radar in the lead up to the 2020 election, and his political profile was lower going into the race than that of Ossoff, who had competed in much bigger races before this one. Warnock received less than 33% of the vote in the November special election featuring uh, 20 candidates. The two leading GOP candidates, Loeffler and Republican Douglas A. Collins, earned nearly 46% of the vote combined. No one reaching 50% meant that under Georgia law, the race uh, was between Ossoff and Purdue would have to go into runoffs. The Warnock-Loeffler race also appeared to be a microcosm of many of the larger culture and political wars that fought in politics across the country. Warnock sought to replace a lawmaker who had closely aligned herself with President Trump, who lost the state. Warnock ran a very liberal platform, especially supporting criminal justice reform, slowing down climate change, expanding voting rights, expanding health care access, and providing economic 
improving the economy and job market for the disenfranchised. The minister's views on these issues are deeply shaped by his religious faith. His religious faith. He ran on a liberal platform um, because he often talked in interviews about how he was a benefit of strong public policy. So this is a man who uh, very clearly benefited from um, things being made easier for his community through public policy and voting. So he uh, is a product of the things that he hopes to bring to his community and to the world. Um, he was currently a senior pastor at Ebenezer, the former church of Martin Luther King Jr., and has used the pulpit to preach against police brutality and racism in the past. He was also an officiate for the funerals of the late Congressman John Lewis, Severo Hero, and Richard Brooks, the black man who was killed by the Atlanta police officer last June. Um, so I'm going to take a little pause there. And Emily, you want to tell us a little bit about Mr. John Ossoff? Yeah, I'm going to say I'm actually going to talk a little bit broader than Asaf himself, more about like what he represents. Um, yeah, but um, so Asaf is Jewish. Uh, and I do want to say that I was pissed. I couldn't even have a full day to enjoy what happened in Georgia yesterday. Warnock is not only the first black man representing Georgia in the U S Senate. He's the first black man. Oh, quote. He's the first black man popularly elected to his, the Senate seat from a state in the former Confederacy. Um, end quote. Yeah major and that's from hey alma which is a feminist jewish publication i'm going to keep quoting at this point um and asaf is georgia's first jewish senator which is a very big deal um so i i you know mentioned this in the last segment this uh the south has a long history of not only racism but anti-semitism um so the election outcome with warnock and asaf is like the greatest fear of all the fucking terrorists yesterday so they're lashing out because they're losing power, but like, fuck them. <laughs> um, I'm excited. So um, I remember growing up and being told by family members that I shouldn't go down south and tell everyone I'm Jewish, um, which I was like, yeah, whatever. But like, actually, um, so there's this infamous story of the lynching of Leo Frank, uh, which has been making the rounds recently surrounding Asif's story. Um, I'm, I grabbed this recap. It's like, I'll try and keep it brief. Um, but from Hey Alma again, the publication I just referenced. So Leo Frank was a Jewish man who grew up in Brooklyn and moved to Atlanta as an adult where he became the superintendent of the national pencil company factory. He married a Jewish woman and was involved in Jewish life in Georgia. Quote, in 1913, Frank was convicted of raping and murdering Mary Fagan, a 13 year old employed at the national pencil company factory. Uh, quote, Frank, Throughout the accusation and trial proclaimed his innocence. The prosecution based the majority of its case on the testimony of the factory's janitor, Jim Conley. Historians today believe Conley to be the actual murderer of Mary. He was seen washing blood off his shirt. Meanwhile, Frank's housekeeper placed him at, the, at home at the time of the murder. Quote, historian Leonard Dinnerstein writes for that writes that one juror said before his selection, I am glad they indicted the goddamn Jew. They ought to take him out and lynch him. And if I get on that jury, I'll hang that Jew for sure. Uh, quote, Frank tried to appeal the sentence, yet Georgia's higher, higher courts and the U.S. Supreme Court refused to reopen the case. Georgia Governor Frank Slayton then was Frank's last hope. After reviewing the case and the trial judge's recommendation, Slayton commuted, com uh, commuted Frank's sentence from death to life imprisonment. When that news, Frank was not to die, came out, a mob of 5,000 people protested Slayton's home. Slayton was not intimidated. He believed Conley to be the actual murderer and privately told friends he would have issued a full pardon. 
Um, and then myjewishlearning.com explains, quote, on August 17th, 1915, a group of 25 men described by peers as, quote, sober, intelligent, and of, a, of established good name and character uh, stormed the prison hospital where Leo Frank was recovering from having his throat slashed by a fellow inmate. They kidnapped Frank, drove him more than 100 miles to Mary Fagan's hometown of Marietta, Georgia, and hanged him from a tree. Uh, Hay Alma explains the impact this had on the Jews in the area. Quote, soon Jewish families began fleeing Atlanta, fearing rising anti-Semitism. In the aftermath, around half of Georgia's 3,000 Jews left the state. What it did to Southern Jews can't be discounted. Steve Oney, a writer who has spent extensive time writing about Frank, explained to The Forward, quote, it drove them into a state of denial about their Judaism. They became even more assimilated, anti-Israel, Episcopalian. The temple did away with chuppahs at weddings, anything that would draw attention. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all very emotional. Um, truly both Warnock and Ossoff's win are historic and for them to happen in the same election on the same day and to be the winds that turn the Senate blue is honestly breathtaking. Um, and with that back to you, Teresa. All right. And then finally, just a, a recap of Georgia turning up the vote. Um, this, uh, recap comes from CNN and the author is Nikel Terry Ellis and Nicole Chavez. Black Georgia voters showed up in droves for the state's pair of U.S. Senate runoffs and voting right groups say the high turnout plus aggressive organizing efforts helped solidify the historic win. Black-led voting groups spent the last six weeks knocking on millions of doors, registering voters, distributing mailers, hosting events, and partnering with Atlanta hip-hop artists to expand their reach. Their efforts came as Atlanta was thrust into the national spotlight following Biden's win that flipped Georgia blue after he won the state with more than 11,000 votes. In the days leading up to the Senate runoff, black women organizers, including Stacey Abrams, Latasha Brown, and many other countless names, once again emerged as the leading voice, appearing on social media, national television, bus tours, and other places urging all people to vote. Exit polls on Tuesday revealed that 93% of black voters supported Democratic challengers Osef and Warnock. Republicans Loeffler and Purdue, meanwhile, received 71% of the white vote. Many voting rights activists say Georgia's increasing diversity has created a path to victory for the Democrats. The number of black voters has grown considerably in the past two decades and represented a third of the state's electorate in 2019, according to a Pew Research Center. Um... Martin Luther King Jr. III said there was a lot at stake for black voters in the Senate runoff. King credited grassroots organ organizing and engaging black voters in Georgia, saying, you meet people where they are. The strategies used to turn Georgia blue should be replicated in other reli reliably red states throughout the Deep South. 2020, it showed that if you're diligent and determined, there can be a victory. That mobilized and created enthusiasm with black voters and all voters across the country. So that is our good news for a week where the shit hit the fan. But let's not forget that this is a historical moment, even with all of the mediocrity and bullshit that is still happening in this country. Um, people really came out um, in this unprecedented time of the pandemic and everything else that we dealt with. Uh, people really, really banded together across the country to make these shifts. And I'm very proud um, just to see that there is some shifts happening in the South, you know, it's different when you see it in the South than in the North or any other place for that matter. Uh, but hats off to both of these senators for really 
work. I feel like they work together. You know, I feel like they work together every time you see them in the same place at the same time. There's a lot of love between them. They are very respectful and had a lot of decorum in the interviews that they did. And um, I'm really excited about what Georgia did. So congratulations to all of them and shout out to all the organizers on the ground out there doing their thing. It was awesome. I honestly, I wasn't, I, I, I was keeping my expectations very low. Um, I just, I knew, I mean, I don't blame you. I, I, I don't blame you at all. I'm still, I still have PTSD from like 2016. Right. So it's like, I knew I, we want, I wanted the Senate to turn blue and I wanted them to win. But I was like, maybe one of them will win. Right. I didn't think that both were going to win. I definitely didn't think they yeah. would both win by the margin large enough that, you know, they couldn't trigger a recount like that. I, it's mind blowing. It's so incredible. And I really love like the difference in their age and their demographic yeah. and how it just really, um, it just represents the change that's happening in that state and what's happening across the country. I just, I just love that mm-hmm. for us. And you're totally right. There, there've been a bunch of, um, very heartwarming photos of the two of them, like bumping elbows, right? Like wearing, yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, supporting each other and, and just really, yeah. you know, moving beyond any sort of differences that they may have had to really just do the right thing. Yeah, you know? I, I think that yeah. ultimately the biggest takeaway I get from these stories is like the power of grass, grassroots organizing that um, mostly black people are doing. And what my hope is mm-hmm. that 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 energy and that same power, it should continue and it should be focused on like making sure you get what you want out of these people that have been elected because as exciting as it is and it is historic for people of certain marginalized identities to get into these positions and even if they're like relatively conservative like that still makes the people we were talking about earlier extremely upset we can't forget the fact that you know sometimes these people there's a sentiment of like vote blue no matter who. And I think there's a danger with that when people are just so relieved that the person isn't as bad as the worst that the country has to offer that some of the momentum is taken away from really pushing them to do what needs to be done. Like I know, how do you say his last name? Ossoff? Ossoff? Ossoff. Ossoff? I think it's Ossoff. Asif is the way that okay. me and my family have uh, we'll, been pronouncing we'll, we'll, it. So I'm we'll assuming correct that's it next right. time if we said it wrong. But you know, I I will correct yeah, myself. Yeah, but you I know, like to. he <laughs> doesn't support getting rid of ICE. He's made comments that are against the defunding of police, and like not just to focus on him. Like mm-hmm. Isha Lance Bottoms is a black yeah. mayor of Atlanta. Like she, people were tear gas in Atlanta for protesting what happened with um, Breonna Taylor's killers. You know, Lori Lightfoot is a black uh, lesbian woman who's the mayor of Chicago. She's done a lot of dirt. You know, she's also a Democrat. The man who refused to prosecute the people who murdered Breonna Taylor is a black man. So these moments, like, as important as they are, I really feel like we cannot lose sight of how far to the right this country has gone in general, because even the people that we see and we get excited like at least they're not red it's it's almost like they're center right in some ways so i'm very excited for what organizing power can do 
And I'm really hopeful to see that be harnessed towards like making demands that actually come through beyond getting the person in the office. Yeah. And on that note, like shout out to Stacey Abrams. I mean, for her to, to take her, um, loss and you know, what, uh, what I, at least in my mind felt like an amounting to an actual stolen election based on, um, voter, um, suppression for her to take that energy and not just, it just really shows like, this is what public service is about. It wasn't just that she wanted to win. She wanted to make positive change and to take that energy and to turn it into flipping Georgia blue is, is it like, that is the, that is doing the work. It's incredible. Absolutely. And to all the other organizers who put in the yeah, work, not you know, just her. Yeah, definitely. Because just because, you know, she definitely lent her campaign and her face mm-hmm. and all her energy towards mm-hmm. it. But there was a lot of people behind her. You're right. Yeah. Um, just just really, really, especially reaching young people, which I think um, is important because young people will be the people who change the tide. So mm-hmm. shout out to everybody. And let's make these people do what they supposed to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely stay focused. Yeah. Don't get off your game. Mm-hmm. And don't let this um, atrocity that happened yesterday mm-hmm. uh, stop the momentum because we're on to something, damn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's like we, there's no, there's not going to be any singular hero to save right. anybody. Like you have to work together. Right. Like, I don't know where it came from, but, you know, they say if you want to, go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. You have to get wherever, Mm -hmm. if you're listening and you're upset about what's happening, you need to get plugged into an organization because we see that the people that are working to basically, as Emily said, make sure people like us don't exist. They find each other and they have some sort of a plan and organize their thoughts and make some kind of an action. We can do the same. And, you know, we see what can happen when we do work together. Like we're saying, you know, it's not just Stacy, but all these other organizers, you know, that's work that takes years, you know, and they were mm-hmm. able to do what many thought would not be possible. Like we can continue down that road in other areas of life to make the world that we want to see. That's right. Be the change you want to see in the world. So. All right, ladies. Awesome show. It was fun to do it with you guys. Thanks for taking a little bit of that heat off my chest. Mm-hmm, likewise. It, yeah. it, it could be this red wine or it could be that <laughs> my day is finally coming to a close, but I appreciate the hard work that went into this episode for sure. Yeah. I enjoy talking to y'all. Ditto. A lot. Absolutely. So before we get out of here, Jasmine, you want to mention our social media handles for our listeners? Oh, man, you caught me off guard. Okay. So <laughs> the, the Instagram is very easy. So if you go to at objection to the rule, no space, that is our Instagram handle. And for Facebook, let's see. It is facebook.com forward slash objection radio free bk so look there for updates on the stories that you hear us discuss and also ways that you can do you know get involved in some kind of practical action um, which is really what's needed it's not good enough to just be informed you have to use that information to you know get up get out and do something 
So we'll be trying to link you all to opportunities to do that through our social media. So, yeah. Awesome. So thank you so much. That's it for this week's Objection to the Rule. Thank you for listening. You can catch all of our older episodes on the Radio Free Brooklyn app, on Spotify, or anywhere you can find um, iTunes podcast. Listen up for more independent Brooklyn media. Our final track today is dedicated to Senator Raphael Warnock um, and also everybody in Georgia and also Senator Osaf. Did I say it right? Anna? I, I mean, there, awesome, awesome. Osaf. Awesome. Osaf. We see you, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of the organizers that spent endless amounts of time, energy, money, and um, power spending time on the ground to make these shifts happen. This track is called. Yeah, absolutely. This track is called Georgia. It's by Ludacris featuring Phil Mob and Jamie Foxx. A nice spin on the Ray Charles classic. We will see you next week. Bye. 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 Georgia. Georgia. We on the grind in Georgia. All the time it ain't nothing on my mind, but Georgia. We ain't playing with you. We on the grind in Georgia. All the time it ain't nothing on my mind, but Georgia. We ain't playing with you. Country name, country slang, fiends at the liquor store. Black cruising, crap shooting, 50 on the 10 of four. Overcast, the forecast shows cloud from plenty drove. And we ready for war in the state of Disrespected, and we'll clean out your dirty mouth. Bulldogs clocking, these lookout boys is hawking. You gotta be brave in the state of I got five Georgia homes where I rest my Georgia bones. Come anywhere on my land, and I'll aim at your Georgia dome. If you get in an altercation, just hop on your mobile phone and tell somebody you need help in the middle of Scope your pumpkin and smash ya. We'll come through your hood worse than a tsunami disaster. Don't know who they gonna get or who them robbers gonna hit. That's why I keep my Georgia tech in the state of If you live in New York City and run for either fun or exercise, here's a way to learn something about the city while you're getting in your workout. City Running Tours is now offering neighborhood running tours designed with locals in mind. New York City takes pride in the diversity and character of its neighborhoods, and these unique running tours offer an opportunity to learn the history of a neighborhood and get personal recommendations from your guide. Choose from tours of 23 neighborhoods, including the East Village, the Upper West Side, Bushwick, Long Island City, and Roosevelt Island. For more information about the running tours and to see the list of neighborhoods and full tour schedule, check out their website at www.cityrunningtours.com slash New York City and check out a live tour every Saturday at 10 a.m. on Instagram.com forward slash city running tours.